0: morning. So good to be here with you, and uh, if you're watching online, we're glad you are tuned in as well. If you're a guest, uh, we're so glad that you are uh, part of what God's doing here at Edinburgh Church. Um, we've been in a series right now called Choosing Joy, and we are working through the letter of Philippians together. Uh, we've seen that this this primary theme of this letter uh, is, is joy, and what's incredible about that is, uh, you know, Paul is writing this after being imprisoned for his faith, and yet he writes to the church of Philippi this letter uh, talking about his joy and the joy that he has and the joy that he wants the church of Philippi to have. I just figured we needed and could use a little more joy these days. And so we're going to be working uh, through the letter of Philippians, uh, and uh, today uh, we're going to be picking it up in in chapter 2. And by the way, if you'd like to do a Bible study and, and work through uh, Philippians um, uh, on a daily basis, uh, you, can, you can find a devotional that we put together on myedinbrook.org. I think we also have hard copies out in the lobby at Connection Point. Uh, in the year 1508, a man by the name of, of Nicholas uh, Copernicus um, proposed a theory, and this theory uh, was, was, was radical. And the theory was this. It was that um, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but rather the earth revolves around the sun. You can imagine what a radical theory that was at the time. He didn't have the uh, instruments and the equipment to necessarily prove it. Um, that would come years later with the telescope. Um, but he was proposing this theory that would change our world and the way we even think about ourselves. This has been uh, become known as the Copernicus Revolution. The Copernicus Revolution. That the earth doesn't revolve around us, but rather we revolve, the earth revolves around the sun. And what I'm hoping for today is that we will experience a kind of Copernicus Revolution. Uh, but not a Copernicus revolution so much, uh, one that deals with the earth and the sun, I'm hoping today we're going to experience a gospel revolution or a Jesus revolution where you and I realize that the world does not revolve around us. Where we realize, where I realize, that the world does not revolve around me. This morning, we're going to be talking about humility as we get into chapter 2 of Philippians. And I just want to say, uh, right off the bat here, I don't feel qualified to preach this message this, this morning, okay? Uh, I was convicted all week putting this message together. And I just want to say this as well. This, th- what we're going to be talking about this morning is not salvific. Okay? Paul is writing to those who have already put their faith in Jesus. Paul's not writing this to save us. He's writing this to sanctify us, to help grow us in our relationship with God in how we treat and relate to one another. Okay? So I want to just jump on in to Philippians 2, starting with verse 1. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. I just want to stop there for a second. Notice that Paul first starts by saying, therefore, okay? And anytime you see therefore, uh, you should ask yourself this question. What is it there for? Okay? Because it's always referencing back to something that was previously said. You know, you don't start off a conversation with therefore. Like if I came up to you and seen you in a while, I wouldn't come up to you and say, Therefore, how are you doing? That would be weird, okay? That's because therefore always references back to something that's already been stated. So we need to know what is already been stated, all right? Well, at the end of chapter 1, Paul talks to the church of Philippi about their suffering. And what he's saying is, you know, you are sharing in similar sufferings that I have experienced He's he's reminding us that we live in a a broken world where sometimes life is just really, really tough. And so then he says, therefore, the logical conclusion of that, he's going to go on to say, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, he's saying if you have experienced the gospel, Okay, So if you have experienced it, sometimes I've I've heard Christians say things like, you know, the Christian faith is is more than experience. It's more than just experience. And, And listen, I would say amen to that. Yes, the Christian faith is more than just experience, but it's not less. As Christians, we are supposed to experience something. We are supposed to experience God's love. We are supposed to experience comfort. We are supposed to experience affection and compassion. And by the way, that doesn't always come directly from just our quiet time with God. Sometimes God wants to use the church. He wants to use other people in your life to share the love of God, to encourage you. But it is something that we are supposed to experience as believers. He goes on to say in verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same spirit, being united in spirit and So let's put all of these things together. Paul's saying we live in a tough world where suffering is a reality. Therefore, if you have experienced the gospel, if you know God's love, if you've actually experienced it in your heart, then make my joy complete by being united with one another in the mission and in loving each other. This is what Paul wants for us. This is what God wants for us, because Paul's writing from the inspiration of the Spirit. God wants us to be united. I love what Psalm 133 says. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. God wants us to be united in our love for one another and in the mission that he has has given us. Um, Many years ago, I went on a mission trip uh, to India. Absolutely life-changing, okay? Uh, i would never been to, to a place like that. But one thing I can tell you about, about India is, is there was, at least where we were at, you, there, was, there, was a, there was kind of a spiritual oppression that could be felt. There was a, there, just something different. It was almost like it was in the air. In fact, we went to one of the Hindu temples at one point, and uh, some of the Christians that I was with actually got physically sick and vomited just from this this feeling it's hard to describe but but this 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 oppressive spirit uh that was just kind of in the air there what we would maybe describe as like a spiritual kind of darkness they had like gods that they worshiped and stuff out in the community they'd bring food to and you could just feel this this in the air oh we went to a village and i remember they even warned us they said are you sure you want to go to this village Uh, Because the leader there is a demon-possessed man. We generally don't go to this village. We said, no, we want to go. So we go into this village, and uh, uh, we pull up, and we're getting ready. We're getting geared up uh, to do ministry. They're still on the bus when all of a sudden I hear kids banging on the other side of the bus. So I go to their side. I look out the window, and they had pulled our bus driver. Our bus driver was from India. He was driving us around. They pulled our bus driver out of the bus and were beating him right there uh, on the ground. He was getting punched. He was getting kicked. Uh, And I experienced what I consider today a miracle. I mean, I saw something that defied physics. Uh, he He got kicked in the ribs but somehow ended up on his feet, all in one motion, went back up the steps of that bus into his seat, was able to shut the door, and we drove off. And I remember driving out of this village, and there was just this guy standing there. And his eyes just dead, just watching us, the villagers behind him. And I assumed that that was was the leader of this village, this demon-possessed man, that they had talked about. But I tell you this, to paint this picture, this is what we were dealing with. Uh, we, and you had, the, you had sort of the, the, the Hindus who, who, who worshipped all their many gods, but then you also had the Muslims uh, in, in, in the part of the city that we were at. Um, the, these were generally people from outside, maybe, uh, of the country, like from Pakistan. Um, and, and we were doing drama one time in the city streets when they came. They weren't violent towards us, but they actually started pushing the crowd that was watching us down and away and like made them leave so that we couldn't even finish the drama. I mean, they got violent. And, and so these two groups, you need to understand, they were, they were at odds with another. There was a lot of conflict, sometimes even violent conflict uh, between the two groups. But we were working with this pastor, this pastor who did ministry there in India, He was uh, an Indian himself, and he took us to this church. And I remember we walked down these steps, and and, and we walked into this church. And the first thing that I remember about walking into this, this little underground church that we were part of was the joy that was on these believers' faces. Because I hadn't seen that in a while. I hadn't seen that on on, on anyone else's face, but this was different. You can tell when someone has the joy I'm talking about, the countenance of the Lord. You could just see it on their face. And as I got to know the people, here's what was incredible about this church. You had some who had come from families on the Hindu side. And you had some who came from families who were on the Muslim side and brought all that political, you know, baggage that, 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 that was there on both sides. And yet they came together in this church worshiping Jesus, loving each other, eating together. They were united. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to be a part of. These believers worshiping their God with joy, literally radiating from their faces, doing life together despite all their differences, despite all the political baggage that existed in their families. And it gave me hope, like, we can do that as a church. If they can do that, that can, you know, that we can do that. Because we're living in a time, I think we all realize, where there's more division than ever. (laughs) I mean, we're living in a time where political differences exist. We're living in a time even still racial uh, 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 differences exist. And by the way, uh, I was thinking this week, you know, it's Martin Luther King weekend, and I just found myself saying, man, we could use Martin Luther King, Jr. We could. We could. I came upon this quote, something Martin Luther King said. and mean, it struck me deeply. Listen to what he said. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. How true. Man, we could use Martin Luther King today. I was, and I just want to say, I've heard more and more people coming into Edinburgh saying, we appreciate the diversity of this church and uh, you know, we're still a predominantly white church. Um, but those of you who come in here, and, and, and you would be considered maybe a minority, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing life with us. Because if I, as I've reflected on my own life, I've seen my own ignorance in some of this, these areas of race and racial reconciliation. I've realized that I've tried to minimize the differences. And and what I love about Edinburgh is we're we're moving away from minimizing those differences. Rather, we want to celebrate those differences because we're told in heaven one day every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to come together and is going to worship Jesus. And this can be a place that models heaven right now. And so we celebrate those differences, what God is doing, bringing people together who, yes, have differences but are one in Christ. And yet I look around at culture today and I see people hating one another and trying to use hate. And King reminds us, no, the only way we're going to come together is through love. And let's not forget it's Reverend Martin Luther King. He sought racial reconciliation through the prism of the gospel. Because he knew it was a picture of heaven. And he knew it's what God wanted for us right here on earth. So I love being a part of a church where we're doing this together. And despite, because I'll just tell you, I don't have it figured out when it comes to this issue. I really don't. I still have a lot of learning to do on my end. But I just want to say thank you for all of us wrestling with this together and growing in God's grace together. And thanks those of you who would be considered minorities for walking with us and people like me even in my ignorance. Guys, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm glad that we can do that together. God wants us to be united. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, showing grace and love to one another to accomplish the mission that he's given us. But the question for us today is how do we go about doing that? How do we be that kind of church that's united in our love and our support, even though we have differences, different political ideas at times, that were different politi- you know, ethnically, uh, those kinds of things. How do, we, how do we live this out when we're living in a world that is so divided today? Well, Paul is going to tell us specifically three things that we have to do if we're going to live this out. Okay, And that's what I want to talk about with the rest of our time. So, so first, to be united, here's what we have to do. We have to guard against selfishness. You don't have to guard against Selfishness. He goes on in the next verse, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Man, have you have we realized we are, we we live in a self-absorbed world? A self-absorbed culture. In fact, we're so self-absorbed in our culture, we have something called the selfie. Are you familiar with the selfie? You know what the selfie is? It's where people take a picture of themselves and then put it on social media so that other people can validate them. And the people who are validating them are the same people taking pictures, putting them on social media, and they validate others so that then others will validate them. Does that sound healthy? By the way, if you don't know what a selfie is, usually the guys are like they're you know they're flexing their muscles and they putting that online. The women I learned it's a lot more complicated. Like they actually have to practice this. I realized there's this special pose that they do. I actually I had to practice it this week. You do it's complicated. Then you go. It's called duck face. It's it's quite freakish actually when you stop and. I found out that like so, Android just Android phones upload 93 million uh, uh, selfies a day. It's like something like 30 billion a year, and that's just um, (laughs) that's just Android phones. And I also learned that 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 selfies can be dangerous. In in 2015, more people died from taking selfies than shark attacks. I'm waiting for them to come out with the show. you know, uh, s- selfie tank or uh, <laughs> selfie week, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's like Shark Week. Maybe it's gonna be selfie week. I'd watch it. But we live in a culture. I mean, we love to take pictures of ourselves. We post it. Um, even if it's not of ourselves. Have you ever noticed if you take a picture of your family, who's the first person you look at when you look at that picture? Who is the first person you check out? I mean, your spouse could be drooling with an eye shut, but as long as you look good, that's, that's the next Christmas card, right? I mean, we are self-absorbed. And this is born into us. It's like, it's something that is like, we are born with this. Uh, I, have, I have twins, Logan and Michaela, but I remember watching my twins grow up and how they interacted uh, when they were around two or three, they were sitting on a couch and uh, I, Logan was reading this book, and Kayla wanted it, and I just remember she was grunting at him. She was just like, ah, ah, and then she would reach over, and he would kind of take the book and not even look at her, but just kind of pull it away. I watched her. She's like two, three. She picked up a bigger book, whacked him over the head with it, and when Logan came to and shook off the stars, she was holding the book, and just kind of like nothing ever happened, and Logan couldn't remember, so, I mean, he let it go, but... I watched her steal the book from her twin brother. I think this is born into us. I mean, we are just inherently, you know, uh, selfish. It's who we are. Let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you found yourself honestly praying for somebody else? Even as believers, I mean, we, we are not immune from, from selfishness. When, when was the last time you actually spent time praying for somebody else? other than your kids, and not like praying selfish prayers because sometimes that's what we do. He's like, God, please help that person to do exactly what I want them to do. Amen. I'm talking about actually praying for their good, praying, God, would you open doors for that person? God, would you increase that person's joy? Would you help that person to step into things that's gonna bring you glory and and do good for that person? Uh, When was the last time you honestly spent time, I was thinking about that this week, when was the last time that I've done that, really spent some devoted time praying For somebody else, you know, that's something that just goes to show how self-absorbed we can be. But Paul says don't do that. Guard against selfishness, okay? And then he goes on to say this too. Guard against pride. Guard against pride. Again, verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride. I was looking into that word this week that Paul uses for pride. It literally means to think of yourself with exaggerated importance. That's what it means. To think of yourself with exaggerated importance. Kind of like the pufferfish. If you're familiar with the pufferfish, it like blows itself up to make itself big and, 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 and intimidating. And it's this idea it's like, it's to think of yourself with uh, uh, exaggerated importance. But that's why it's not wrong to think of yourself, but, but, the, but God wants us to think of ourselves rightly. That's why Paul says in Romans do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Or rather, think of yourselves with sober judgment. And here's the thing I've realized and recognized about pride in my own life. Like, you can think you're humble. You can, you can think generally I'm a humble person. But I've realized the enemy, Satan, is so sneaky in our lives. He, he, we can be humble in one area but very prideful and unaware in another. You know, some of us maybe we're humble in some areas of our life, but when it comes to our money, we, we are prideful. I, I have so much money. I made money. We wouldn't say that, but we, feel we have an exaggerated sense of importance because of how much money we make or the, the job title we have or the job that we have. Maybe some of us, you know, it's feeling uh, prideful, because of the clothes we wear or the, the car we drive, or maybe it's the friends that we hang out with if you're in school. I mean, I'm the popular kids. So, and it's all these things where pride can sneak into our life. And honestly, one of the areas where pride can sneak into our life is just religion. In fact, I'll just tell you, church, the, the church can, it can be one of the most dangerous places for pride to sneak in. Maybe we start doing something for God, we start serving in the church, or doing something, or leading a ministry, or go into ministry, and next thing you know, we start thinking of ourselves with an exaggerated sense of importance. Or maybe we start actually cleaning up our lives a little bit and start practicing the morals of the Bible and trying to put those things into practice, and before you know it, we start thinking, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty, I've, seen it, I've seen it in churches where we get that attitude like, well, why aren't more people like me? Why aren't people being like I am? Why aren't people as moral as I am? You know, taking our communion and looking around at others, wondering what did that sinner do this week? And then we're just like, Jesus, you're welcome. And that might sound like an exaggeration, but I don't know how much of an exaggeration it is at times for all of us. We start thinking like we are an asset to God's kingdom. We are an asset to this thing called Christianity and that God is fortunate to have friends telling you everything we have is a gift that comes from him. Everything we have, the salvation we have, it's a gift. The ability to even do good, I would argue, is a gift that comes from him. Everything he's provided, that job he's provided for you in your life, it's all a gift. How can we be prideful when it's all been given sacrificially by our God? And yet we do, we walk around and we, we puff ourselves up and try to find things to, to think of ourselves with exaggerated sense of importance. You see, I came into the church, I was a broken teenager coming out of drug addiction. And I remember coming into the church and being so utterly discouraged why was I discouraged? In fact, if I didn't have a couple of friends who came around me and walked with me through that season, I don't know if I'd be a Christian today because I was so discouraged. Because here I am, a broken teenager who just needs some hope and needs some people to love me. And I start looking around at everyone else and they all seemed like they had it all together. Everybody seemed like they had figured it out Everyone I came in contact with it seemed like they didn't have any problems, they didn't have any challenges, seemed like life was going great for them. And there I was, this broken teenager, feeling so alone, feeling like no one understood, that no one could relate. And I've been a pastor for a while, I've been doing this for a while. Here's what I've learned we all have issues. I've been doing ministry in, in, in poor churches. I've done ministry in rich churches. We all have problems. We all have issues we are struggling with. But the church can be one of the worst places where we come, we act like we have it all together, and we wear this mask. And I'm not talking about the masks you're wearing because of COVID. Where we wear these masks pretending that we don't have any struggles and that we don't have any issues. where we refuse to be vulnerable, where we're scared to be vulnerable because of our pride. And so the church can become this judgmental place where we create such high standards for morality that no one's willing to actually be real. And one of the reasons I love Edinburgh Church and one of the things I've tried to model for you is, no, this is going to be a place where we are going to be real with one another. This is going to be a place where we can be authentic. This is going to be a place where when we're struggling, we can reach out to a brother or a sister in Christ and say, I am struggling, and that brother and sister will respond with, it's okay not to be okay. Those are the kind of believers I want to do life with. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. That's the kind of church I want to be doing life with, a church where we are growing in God's grace together, headed in the same direction. Amen? And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you. But if we got to be careful, we got to be careful that pride, because pride will ruin it. Pride will cause us to stop being vulnerable. Pride will cause us to stop being honest. Reaching out for help when we need help. I just wish more people felt comfortable reaching out to churches when they needed help. Hey, I'm struggling with porn. Hey, I'm living in an affair right now. I need some help. My life is falling apart. And they don't reach out to the church. Why? There's something wrong with that. This is where you're supposed to come to find help. If we always walk around acting like we got it all together, like we figured it out and we're up here, God's mission isn't going to be carried out, friends. And so we got to guard against this thing called pride. So if you ever start feeling like this sense of importance in any of these areas of your life, um, I would just give you this warning. The Bible is very clear about this. Pride comes before a what? Fall. Pride comes before. This is a major theme throughout the scriptures. Let me just show you a few scriptures. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I love that, towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You want God's favor in your life? Humble yourself before him. You want God to oppose you? Think of yourself with exaggerated importance. James 4, 6, Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so let me just say also, this means that when we humble ourselves, we can truly trust that God will honor us. Because some of us, you want to be honored. And you want others to, be, to honor you. So i gotta take, I got to do it myself. I've got to make it known my accomplishments. I've got to have a certain air to me or people won't respect me. No, 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 no. The Bible is saying this is part of that gospel revolution I'm talking about. No, if we will humble ourselves before God, God will lift you up. He will honor you before others. So we've got to guard against selfishness. We've got to guard against pride. Now Paul's going to tell us what we need to do. So right now he's just warned, don't do these two things. Don't be selfish. Don't be prideful, proud. Now what do we do? He's going to go on to say this. This is how I summed it up. We honor others. We honor others. Verse 4, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest but also to the interests of others, okay? So I sum this up by saying we're supposed to honor other people. Now, you might want to underline that in humility there. I I looked into that word this week. Um, This is an interesting, it's interesting that Paul uses that here. This word humility, it's a Greek word, and in the Greek culture, this was not considered a virtue. This was actually derogatory, to consider someone as humble was a derogatory thing, okay? It was actually used of Greek battles when they would conquer their, their opponent and they would drag off uh, the defeated warriors as slaves. They were said to be humble. It literally means the lowly-minded ones. And here Paul is saying, be lowly-minded. Because in a sense, we've been conquered, right? Right? We we waved our white flag. We said, God, I surrender to you. You have conquered me. I wave my white flag and surrender to your love. I surrender to your grace. I surrender to the fact that I need a savior to save me from my sin. God, I'm waving my white flag. I surrender to you. And we become the lowly-minded ones. How does Paul start every one of his letters? Paul, a slave of Christ. That's how we're supposed to see ourselves. We, we are slaves of Christ. We are the lowly-minded ones. This was not a virtue. And so this would have blown the minds of the church of Philippi. Paul saying, in humility, being like the lowly-minded ones, consider others more important than yourselves. Now, How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first, I, I, I think it starts by just recognizing other people around us. If you're married, you have a spouse. If you have kids, you have, you have children. Uh, you have other friends. You have other family in your life. You have a church family. There's other people here, and all of them have needs. All of them have dreams and desires. In other words, you're, you're not the only person in the universe. It starts by just recognizing that there's other people around us in our lives who have needs. Secondly, it means we listen. We listen to what other people have to say. Honest question, when was the last time you sat down with someone and gave them your undivided attention? Cell phone turned off, no distractions, and you treated that person like they were the most important person in your world. That is a a gift that people rarely give to other people today. When was the last time that you sought to understand someone else before needing to be understood by that person? And see, in my experience, when there's been people who have disagreed with me or I disagree with them and we don't see eye to eye on something, we sit down and it doesn't mean I always end up agreeing with them because I don't. But at least I hear their story and I hear the context of where they're coming from and it helps me move just a little closer to them personally. So at least I have some understanding. Understanding and some empathy, where they're coming from. When's the last time we just listened to others? And then third, it means we serve. Honoring others above ourselves means we serve other people. um, Many years ago, Danielle and I were uh, serving together. It was one of our first ministries we ever started serving, or churches that we ever started serving at. And I was in seminary at the time, and I was thinking, okay, they're probably going to need a teacher, they're going to need a small group leader, uh, they're going to need me maybe to lead some kind of ministry, because here I'm in seminary, and I know all this Bible information. So we go to them, and we say, uh, where, where, where could you use me? I'm in seminary, and I'm, I'm, I've got a Bible degree. And they said, we actually need someone to clean our toilets. True story. We could use somebody who would scrub our toilets after this service. And i got to be honest, like, it was a little bit of a blow to the ego, but Danielle and I prayed about it, and we said, fine. If there's no one else willing to do it. And, and, and they, they made that clear, so we said, we'll, we'll step into it, and we'll do it. And so we did that. And I remember the first week I showed up at church, I was a little jaded. I remember looking around after service. We waited about a half hour for everyone to clear out, and I'm looking around going, look at all these animals. It's going to wreak havoc on our plumbing. I can just see it, Right? We scrubbed those bathrooms down. We cleaned those bathrooms to the glory of God, to the best that we could so that they were shining and sparkling by the time we left. And then something surprised me. On the way home, I was filled with such radical joy. And at the time, I didn't understand even what it was. I didn't even know that that was joy. I just knew I I was on this spiritual high. And at first, I was thinking, maybe it's just the cleaning products. I don't think these things were OSHA approved. And I realized this isn't more than the cleaning products. This is something that God is spiritually doing in my life. And honestly, friends, it brought like some healing to my soul. Here I was just cleaning toilets, but I realized it was because I was serving something bigger than myself. I was serving others. And by serving others, ultimately, I was serving God. I was serving Christ. And that's the gospel revolution. You see, the world tells us it's all about me. Others are to serve me. And Jesus comes around and says, no, if you want to have true life, you have to die to yourself and be willing to start serve others. And friends, I want you to have that joy. I want you to have that life in you. And so I want to end this morning just by asking you this question. You know, if you were to walk into a room filled with other people, do do you walk into that room and and, and say, look who's here? Or do you walk into a room and say, look who's here? Who can I serve? Who, Who can I help? Who can I just encourage today? When you walk into a room, is it check me out? Or do you walk into that room and you start looking around and you say, who do I need to check in with? How do you think Jesus would walk into a room? You think he walked in the room puffed up? Or do you think he walked in the room looking at others and looking for those needs that he could meet? Friends, you realize that right now Jesus is in this room. By his spirit, Jesus is in this room. And he knows every one of you. He knows every need you have. He knows every hurt you have. He knows every dream you have. He knows every broken dream you have. He's here in this room right now. And he is here looking, listen to this, to serve you. Do you know why? This should blow your minds. Because at the end of the day, our God is a humble God. He is a humble God who serves others. And He's here right now looking to you, saying, How can I serve you? And maybe some of you come in here right now and you're broken. Maybe you come in here today and you are struggling with some sin. Or maybe you've heard this message this week and, and 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 you're convicted by it. Friends, working on this message this week was so convicting to me. And I was thinking back on all the times I didn't recognize it was pride, I didn't recognize it was selfishness, but I look at the people that I hurt and I was convicted this week. I have been such a jerk at times, even as a pastor. And if you're one of those people that I hurt, listen, if you're watching online or if you're here this morning, I want to say I am from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Even as a pastor, I can be selfish. I can be prideful. And I've hurt people in the process. All I know to do is to ask you for forgiveness and then to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you save a sinner like me? Will you help a sinner like me? All I know to do is clothe myself in the righteousness that Christ gives me. And ask him to help me change and to ask him to help me to grow. And to be more humble like he is. It's all I know to do. Jesus said, come to me you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If you need Jesus to provide that rest for your souls, I'm telling you, he's here today to serve you because he is a humble God. I'm excited. In a moment, we're going to get an opportunity to worship this humble God who came to earth to save and serve sinners like you and me. Oh, we are so fortunate to know this God and that that's who he is. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to end a little differently today. I'm going to ask us, can we stand up and stand up? As you are uh, standing, I am going to read this, what Paul goes on to say. Paul's going to quote this creed. This was the oldest creed of the Christian faith that we know about. Paul goes on to say this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, meaning have the same attitude, church, as Jesus Christ. And then he is going to quote this ancient creed, our oldest creed of the Christian faith, who being in very nature God, that's who Jesus was, he was God, fully God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. How did Jesus come? He gave up his privileges of heaven and he came as a lowly servant and being found in nature of a servant or being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that for us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is worthy of our worship. Let's worship the one who was humble, who came to serve. Sinners like us. Amen.